0: So hard,
1: Ooh, trouble so hard. to the Radical Reverend show and of course we are still off-site recording uh, not in the studios at CIUT 89.5 FM but a reminder to everyone out there do donate Uh, this the radio station is still doing its donation drive even though we're not talking about it much on air so please uh, check it out just go to the right and give what you can the station obviously like so many others needs you more than ever Um, so today I'm so excited because it's our left left or leftist panel, as always every month. And uh, of course, uh, we have the wonderful Emma Wakelin on, um, liberal strategist. And welcome, Emma, to the Radical Reverend Show.
0: Thank you, Sherry. It's my favorite thing to do, so I'm glad to be (laughs) back.
1: (laughs) So let's start off um, talking about one of the topics you thought we should look at. And that is, we were all, I'm sure, um, shocked to see a demonstration similar to the demonstrations that have been gaining wind in the United States against, um, you know, the wearing a masks, pro opening everything up and going yeah. on as normal against social distancing. Um, what the hell? <laughs> what do you make of <laughs> yeah. that? And and who is this? And bizarrely enough, this is in Rob Ford, uh, Rob, I keep making that Freudian slip yeah. <laughs> in Doug <laughs> Ford's Ontario. Um, so you'd think they'd be happy. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a strange thing. I,
0: I I've been rocking my brains over this the last few weeks that this has been happening, and and my I, I've heard it said before, and this is not an original thought of mine, so I can't take credit. But I think the one of the reasons people gravitate towards conspiracy, conspiracies is that they they need to feel that someone's in charge and that the world is just not chaotic like it is. Um, and I think. At the base of it, uh, they need uh, a boogeyman. They need an enemy to focus their their rage and their fear on. Uh, and there's a lot of rage and fear out there. And and even for those of us who still social distance and respect what we need to do, I, I I hate the fact that I can't go and be with my friends. I resent that, and I resent my civil liberties being restricted. But at the same time, I realize that I don't want to trade my civil liberties for my parents' lives or my all well, my grandparents have passed away but my you know if they were still alive uh their lives. I think uh in in the reality is in, in sure you can probably agree with me have having experience in government the politicians are not that competent to have um grand conspiracies the the take to to be able to sustain a, a conspiracy it just it doesn't happen. Um and in terms of billionaires, they already control the world. They don't need to risk their portfolios just to, I don't even know, to make a couple of billion dollars. They, they already run the world. They don't, there, there's no shadow government out there. There's no George Soros. What, what it is that there's a virus out there that's very real and very dangerous and that if we don't allow our healthcare system to, to have the breathing room to catch up to this, uh, we will be in very dangerous waters. Um, and... It, Cell phone towers are not giving us COVID. Um, certain racial groups are not giving us COVID. Uh, it, it's a virus. Um, and, and we, I, I just, I, I understand that you have to target your anger on something, but my God, I think too many people are targeting the wrong thing.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to say that if, if anybody's giving us COVID, it's the Americans. <laughs> I mean, that's where a lot of our cases in Ontario have come from. Um, and we're one of the hot spots in Canada, of course, so Quebec and, and us. Um w- an interesting reaction though. I mean, we've got, you know, Doug Ford here, you've got Trump in the States. Trump is pandering um
2: mm-hmm.
1: it, it, as much as he can get away with to that voice, you know, the kind of conspiracy theory uh voice, you know, with his weird, you know, uh medical <laughs> answers to things and simply, you know, denying realities. Um Whereas here, you know, Doug Ford called them Yahoos. Is this is this a break in the in the conservative you know uniformity here? Um, is this going to cost Doug Ford votes here, and is it going to get uh, votes for Trump south of the border?
0: What do you think? I, that's a very good question. I, I think I mean fundamentally, I think the big difference between Doug and Ro- um, oh, Rob. Sorry, um, again,
1: <laughs> no, he, uh, he help do It's it.
0: awful, and I'm saying that uh, with mistake. I don't mean any malice towards. <laughs> Um, but between Doug and Trump, I think the difference is Rock, or Doug has um I fundamentally disagree with almost everything Doug Ford stands for. But I don't think he's a I don't think he has a bad heart. I think generally he does care about his family and in in the people of Ontario. I just think he has drastically misguided philosophies on that. Trump is a psychopath. Um I think, uh, and sociopath is not even strong. I think he's a psychopath. He doesn't give a crap if people around him die. Um, I don't even think he cares about his own family. I mean, look at how he treats Tiffany Trump, his daughter. He wants to be reelected because it's his ego. Um, And he he will sacrifice the lives of thousands, tens of thousands, almost hundreds of thousands of Americans to get a second term. He just does not give a crap. Um, So I think that's the big difference between those two. Now, will it cost Doug? um support i i think the uh extreme right uh where it's prevalent in certain areas of the united states i don't think it's as uh far gone here uh it is here but i don't think it's as bad as it is in the states so i don't know if it will cost doug um in terms of that i think doug ford's going to lose the next election for other reasons um but i i think we have to be cautious we we can't sit on our laurels here um, in Canada and think that, Oh, we have a better society. We, we care about people more. We have a better healthcare system because it's in, it's always in threat. And we do have a, um, a sizable alt-right um, community who is biding their time and they've never given up the culture war. Um, you know, they, they still want to ban abortion. They want to take women's right away. They want to take LGBTQ rights away. Um, and, um, we have to be vigil- uh, vigilant or vigilant. Oh, sorry, I can't get my words out today. Vigilant, um, and I think that's often a problem on the progressive side is that we we tend to move on. We think um, battles that we have fought for decades are settled once a court agrees with us or once public opinion slides over the fifty percent mark. Because it 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 isn't. We always have to be um, prepared to fight for. Marginalized communities and the rights, civil rights that we we cherish, because they're always threatened.
1: Yeah, uh, let's talk about the the race, the conservative race. It it's kind of fallen mm-hmm. off the radar because you know, um, people aren't watching, but I mean, it's there, it's gonna happen. They're gonna be a new leader. Uh, who's that new leader gonna be? And um, in your estimation, I mean, both of the candidates, they're front runners seem to me to be right. The, the, yeah. they're, they're certainly not red Tories. I mean, we're not seeing that voice representative uh, represented here. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does Alberta run the conservative party now? Is that what's happening here?
0: Yeah, I, I think um, certainly there's um, there's a rump. Uh, the conservatives never fall be, be below thirty five percent support, and the reason is they have a bedrock support. Um, and unfortunately, a large part of that is um, has fallen further and further into this extreme social conservatism. Um, uh, and they uh, they right now are very vocal, and the, the the Conservative Party is pandering to that vocal voice, and uh, I don't get why they're doing it. Clearly, the last election um, was an example to them that they lost uh, moderate Canadians; they lost uh, support in Ontario, and BC, and Atlantic Canada um, because they were pandering to to that right wing, social right wing rump that is not represented of of the average canadian and they went too far and now uh, peter mckay and Aaron O'Toole seem to be doubling down on it um and, and i i get that to win a leadership sometimes you have to pander to the base but the, they're <laughs> the conservative movement in canada right now always seems to miss the forest for the trees and um i i cannot imagine that whoever wins that uh that quote-unquote prize um and i think it's going to be peter mckay but um, we can talk about that later but i I think they're going to be inheriting a damaged brand and i don't know how they repair that um, given the race that they've been waging over the last few months
1: it's it's interesting too of course because of covid in part because of covid um, we're seeing uh leadership uh, you know uh, trudeau's leadership federally and ford's leadership in ontario um rising pretty dramatically um for one thing they're on television every day um yeah. they're eating up the media time mm-hmm. uh and it's uh, so i mean certainly when you look at the polling conservatives have dropped dramatically um federally and uh and provincially they seem to be you know still ahead um not well, quite if, as if, not quite as much though what's what's going on there with the polling well i, I think there, there's two things one and and i
0: think the provincially, the Tory—it depends on who who you're looking at. There, there was a poll last week, uh, and I forget what the company was. What was Compass, but it still had the Ontario Liberal Party ahead. And I think um, the Doug Ford's personal or personal numbers are rising. Although, to be frank, they didn't have much. That's a low <laughs> bar considering where it was but the party's numbers are not. And it's the exact opposite federally, where both Trudeau and the Liberal Party's numbers are going up uh, dramatically. And I think part of that is that the federal Conservatives have started to attack uh, CERB, the um, Emergency Response Benefit. And right now- Which is insane. Which is insane. insane. This is like right up
1: there with HUDAX, you know, we're gonna fire 100,000 civil servants, like what?
0: (laughs) I, I do not get this strategy, in, in attacking a, a benefit that 8 million Canadians, so one in, uh, now I've got to do math, like one in five Canadians are on, and that includes children to uh, seniors, so that's a lot of Cana- uh, uh, voting aged Canadians, and in calling them lazy and that it's, uh, the $2,000 a month is is what's keeping them from going out working in the fields uh, in in. F- farms out in uh, BC and and orchards and it's keeping them from working uh, because there's, there's no jobs out there. Uh, First of all, um, uh, Shear, Andrew Shear, there's no jobs out there. And second of all, $2,000 isn't a lot of money and it doesn't pay, it doesn't even pay the rent in in a lot of uh, towns, uh, cities in this country. So it's not keeping anyone from um, um, going to work, but what it is, it's keeping the lights on in a lot of Canadians. um, houses and it's overwhelmingly uh um, supported right now and it's it's uh popular and it's it's working it's a rare example of something that the government was able to put out in a couple of weeks that 's working um and, and and the old joke goes it takes six months just to for a government uh program to to agree on an acronym they were able to, <laughs> to put out um something that it's it's keeping eight million Canadians. uh Bed and housed in a matter of a couple of weeks. And you know what? It's enormously popular and it's working and attacking it is a suicidal strategy. And it's clearly conservatives because they're almost 20 points below the liberals where they were actually ahead of them uh, in, in the federal election. So um, why they're keeping on this, I, I, they're just banging their head against the wall, uh, hoping that the wall will collapse, but it's not. And uh, it, it's stupid. It's a stupid um, strategy on the conservatives' part.
1: I wonder if, uh, I mean, th- this has kind of rejuvenated the whole talk about a guaranteed annual income um, mm, replacing. Yeah. And interestingly enough, when you think of the Senator Siegel, who brought it in, was a conservative. That's right, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so those were the days. Um, but anyway, um, you know, this is uh, this is starting that conversation again in, in a kind of interesting way. Because it, I, I can foresee, though, a problem, because as the pandemic lifts, and let's hope it does, um, people who start, if they go off serve and still aren't working, you can kind of see a little bit, uh, of a backlash there against, uh, you know, where, yeah. where's government now, you know, we still, that's need- right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a danger there for, for the governments in, um, that they have to, they have to think very hard what happens because the, the four month period ends next month. Um, and they have to figure out what, what the strategy there is because at the end of the day, um, 50% of small businesses in a recent poll say that they might have to close if the, the, the shutdown continues. Um, that's an enormous um, employment um, source in our country. Uh, we see large retailers going out of business. So the economy is not there to support our jobs just yet. So the government still has to be there. And and you know what? I, I was very proud to be part of a team that helped uh, bring in, a very small part, but bring in um, the the basic income uh, pilot program here in Ontario under Premier Wynne and, and Minister Jacek and I I was heartbroken when Ford broke his promise to uh, not um, uh, eliminate it and I think they did a great deal of harm to many people when they, they stopped that program and now I think federally uh, the government has to take up the the reins and look at a basic income because you know this this pandemic is awful and it's just had a terrible effect on a lot of people but it wasn't the first time we've started looking at a trend of job loss, uh, robotics and automation and global, globalization has been shipping jobs away from, from people for, for decades in this country. And I think uh, we were, we were headed for a crisis anyway, this just exacerbated it. So I think uh, we have no choice, but to look at a basic income uh, federally. And if there is a bright lining out of all of this madness, I think the CERB just proves to people how, how important that can be. And, it, and I think it's raising um, support for that, even though there was a great deal of support for basic income provincially in Ontario. Um, so I'm hoping that spreads across the provinces so that um, we can get this as a federal program.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, looking south of the border, it's interesting that socialist Bernie Sanders is calling for the same thing in the st- <laughs> Two thousand yeah. a month for Americans. um that's not happening, so uh south of the border, but somehow Trump's polling numbers seem to be i don't know like way too high. I know he's taken a bit of a hit, but not nearly what one would you know expect, considering that he's responsible for a lot of death um, and certainly not helping well. people that need it, most many of whom were his voters um, so what's going on there like
0: I, I that country is well first of all even i i'm still suspicious of polling because you know there's a large segment of our our society who is overwhelmingly on the progressive side that just does not have landlines anymore um and don't go on the internet and do internet polling so i'm suspicious about polling but i'll leave that for another discussion but i what what ultimately i think kept hillary clinton from winning was she that she ran a terrible campaign and people stayed home um and i think there's a greater um uh movement and we saw it in 2018 with the blue wave that i think people are motivated to get out there um and um i I mean i know we can we can talk forever whether biden was the right choice or not but he's the choice and and um i think he's got to pick either Stacey abrams or kamala harris as his vp um but we saw it in the south and and you know we had discussion a couple of weeks before the, the 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 south carolina primary when it looked like Bi- or um sorry uh, bernie was going to win and i was alone table in our discussion saying no biden i think because he has overwhelming african-american support and he hadn't voted yet there, Afri- the African-American vote is extraordinarily uh, motivated this time around. They came out for Biden. They won Biden. It, they're the reason Biden is the, the nominee. Um, and uh, black women especially were the reason a lot of congressional seats went Democrat in 2018. And I think we're going to see that that, that effect um, carry over in November. My gut says that Biden will defeat Trump. At the end of the day, I, there was only about five or six states where Trump beat hillary um and he only won he won michigan by 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 the thousands he won pennsylvania by the thousands those numbers can come back if uh, if if biden's team runs a good campaign and voters are motivated and and i think they are so and if if they're not my gosh the alternative uh you know ruth bader ginsburg has spent more time in the hospital than not in the last six months and if she if we lose ruth bader ginsburg um what Mitch McConnell will replace her with will lose the, I mean, not we, because I'm not American, but the, the, the Americans will lose the Supreme court. Progressives will lose the Supreme court for a generation and they will lose, start losing state houses because that Supreme court will start. Not only will they take away women's production rights, reproduction rights, they will take away LGBTQ rights, but they will change um, uh, districting, uh, redistricting um, court cases that we're finally going against um, gerrymandering. And when that goes to the Supreme court, do we want, Ruth Bader Ginsburg deciding that? Or do we want Neil Kavanaugh um, deciding that? So, and Mitch McConnell. So I think progressives have to plug their nose uh, and vote for, for Biden because the alternatives are apocalyptic. Yeah pretty, yeah, pretty
1: terrifying. The only Yeah. Pretty terrifying. Let's bring it home again and talk about our own opposition here, both federally and provincially. Um, you worked on Del Duca's campaign. He won. Is he going to be mm-hmm. ri- a running soon? Is there a by-election in the future somewhere that's going to see him seated? Well, I, I, I'm
0: not sure. I mean, listen, uh, at any term, there's going to be tons of by-elections. And I haven't spoken to Stephen, so I can't speak on his behalf on that. I know that, um, and I'm biased on this obviously, but the Ontario Liberal Party has um, some very good young caucus members. Um, we just had two by-elections um, with two new MPs. Um, so, um, and all of those MP- Liberal MPs have the right to to stay on, and I, th- I think they should um, until the end of the term. Um, so, I think if there's a by-election that comes up, is somebody resigns or or something tragic happens, I, I think that's, that's a story that Stephen will have to look at down the road. But I don't think he has immediate plans to run. Um, I think what he, he needs to focus on, and I know that he is, is rebuilding the party, um, rebuilding the, the riding structure. That's always been the strength of the and uh, make sure the grassroots are taken care of. Um, and we'll let fate um, <laughs> dictate what needs to be done in the next few months.
1: So uh, let, let's talk too about the, the problem with the opposition breaking through. I mean, you've said it yourself, the Liberals are running ahead of the NDP, even if the NDP is the official opposition. Um, mm-hmm. And you're seeing Ford as you're seeing Trudeau every day on television as you're seeing Tory um, this can't but help them. How does, how do I mean, what should they, why aren't they breaking through the official opposition and how, how can you com- combat the fact that we're in a pandemic and the leadership is of the, of the jurisdiction is going to soak up a whole lot of media. Um, so yeah. forget it's, you're even there half the time.
0: Well, that, that's a great question, Sharon. And, and uh, it, I, I can't pretend to be. Uh, I mean, I think I'm an amazing political organizer and campaign <laughs> manager, but I'm not a communications whiz. So I don't know if I can necessarily say what the answer is to break through. But I can tell you what the answer is not, and that's clearly what Andrew Shear is doing, um, and to for a different reason, Andrew Horvath. But I think being negative and attack, especially personal attacks, either on uh, the prime minister or average canadians taking serb um it's just not working canadians um are not looking for negativity right now they they want answers and they want positivity and they want reassurement that, reassurement that we're getting through this um and that's what the pr- prime minister and and even the premier uh premier ford has been delivering um so that's why i think you see Shear's um numbers in the conservatives just dropping uh, like a stone and even Aaron o'toole and um Peter McKay, who could have taken the higher road, and I think um, could have um, raised a level of debate, failed to do that, and they're doing personal attacks um, and, what and they're about provincially?
1: I mean, provincially, again, uh, you know, you've got Andrew's been in for many terms now as leader of the NDP. Um, you know, the NDP, and, and both federally and provincially, to be fair, I mean, NDP has kind of federally for sure work with the government kind of pushing through things like Mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, uh, But provincially, um, you know, they've been calling for an inquiry, a real inquiry into the long-term care situation. I mean, there have been some positive noises coming out, but it just doesn't seem to be uh, connecting and getting media. Um, What's the problem strategically for the NDP there? What should they be doing?
0: Well, it, it, that's a great question. I, I think one of the problems is that there's limited bandwidth out there. Um, the media is focused on a few stories um, and uh, it's not a compelling enough uh, narrative coming out of the NDP. Um, and I don't know if that's because the leader herself uh, has consistently failed to, I mean, her, her entire career, she's failed to get in front of the narrative and, and have a compelling story to get voters behind her. Um, so uh, I, I think it's a lack of leadership on the NDP's part. Um, but I think, and, and from what I've seen, uh, she's been letting the the calls for the inquiries have been coming from individual MPs in the back or in the uh, they're all back benches in, in the opposition, but the, uh, the critics and the um, not necessarily from I I haven't seen Andrea in front of a camera in in months, um, and the 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 noise I'm or the the voice I'm hearing from the NDP have been from uh, from MPPs, not from the leadership. So I, I, I don't know what, um, and, and when you do hear it, it, it's, it's overwhelmingly negative from Andrea. I think, um, I I think you, you have to to get through that you have to be a little bit more positive. And I think you have to have actual concrete answers. Um, and yes, calling for an inquiry is important. I think we should definitely have one, but at the end of the day, it's not, that's, not an answer to how we're going to get through that's, that's down the road. We'll figure out what went wrong. It's not necessarily how we're going to figure out um, how to get through our immediate crisis. So I think that's part of the reason.
1: Yeah. So Emma, we're speaking, by the way, uh, with Emma Wakelin here on the left, left or leftist on the radical reverend show. Um, Emma um, strategist uh, for the liberal party in her past and um, worked at Queens park. Um, so we're, we're opening stuff up. And yet the numbers that we see on the news for Ontario and for Toronto still seem to be pretty much the same. And they dip a little bit, they go up a little bit. Um, And I get uh, to our earlier conversation about small business, small businesses hurting and dying, needs to be able to do something and get some support. Um, They're responsible for a lot of employment. But, I mean, is this really something generated by, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, by big business? Um, I mean, and and for, for workers, I mean, like, if you've got yeah. serve, like, are you really wanting to go, to go back and, like, risk your life to work as a grocery clerk? Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, you, you know, what's, what's the mood? What should be happening? And is what's happening what should be happening on that front?
0: Well, I, I think... At the very beginning, we we should have been looking at what countries far more successful than us have been doing. Uh, South Korea has been able to reopen to a large part of their economy um, because they were extremely vigilant right out the gate, and we weren't. Um, we weren't testing um, people's temperatures going in and out of uh, small business or um, grocery stores or, or apartment buildings, um, and we're still not. Um, I think. I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions because I think at the end of the day politicians and government has to make some hard um, calculations that normal people don't, right? Where you have to make the calculation. Do if we don't open um, some business is the cost to our economy. And then that extends then to our healthcare system, our ability to pay for paramedics, um, all sorts of things. Does that, cost more lives than opening up. So I think it's a balancing act you have to make. But we cannot open up business without strong protections for for workers and um and the general public. We need to be taking people's temperatures. We need to be wearing masks. We need to be enforcing masks. We cannot like this weekend, I, I, I realize how beautiful or this week it's been a beautiful weather out, but we cannot be just walking down Young Street or or Bloor Street without masks on, um, enjoying the weather like the sunshine does not defeat a pandemic or a deadly virus. Uh, we we have to take this seriously. But at the same time, again, and I sound like I'm because I am, is I, I'm not a genius. I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't know what the answers are. But at the same time, I do recognize that if people have to be locked up for six months and we miss the summer, our mental health will suffer as well. So um, I don't know what the answer is, Sherry. I wish I did, but I know mm. that, the answer is not what we're doing—opening up golf courses and letting maids and butlers go back to work. And...
1: I mean, it really is like opening it up for the wealthy, you know. Yeah, it, um, that's exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we will we will live and learn. Um, uh, just want we have just got a few minutes left, and I, I want to end on something because we're moving into Pride Month, and Pride, of course, will yeah. be virtual, not uh, actual. This months so again let's hope some money flowing into pride keep it going um, but um, uh, one of the things that Ford has opened up is the ability to have elective surgeries again and I know you and I have been very um, active and concerned to, around uh, trans issues and this is definitely a trans mm-hmm. issue in part yeah. um, because they're considered elective we can argue about whether that should be the designation or not but it is for now. Is it happening? Um, are trans folk getting uh, cert? Are are they able to access surgery or what's happening there?
0: Not as far as I know. And, and and if I'm wrong, please, somebody, uh, let me know on Twitter. No, but from what I understand, uh, women's college hospital is still not doing surgeries. Uh, Montreal is still not doing surgeries, um, uh, which are the two big, um, actually the only two the only, uh, places yeah. you can get the surgery, um, in Canada. Um, so, uh, no, it, it's not happening. And, and yes, electric surgeries are, being allowed but it's being prioritized and unfortunately trans surgeries are considered wait on especially with a conservative government in power so um uh it, it, the short answer is no they're not happening yet um and my real fear is that's that's going to cost lives um Absolutely. we know we know that trans surgeries reduces the enormously high uh suicide rate in the trans communities and it lowers it dramatically Um, so that's why I feel it should not be, uh, this, you know, considered an elective surgery. Um, but, um, yeah, it's not happening yet and hopefully that changes, but with the, the spike happening in Quebec, I, I can see them clamping down again and, uh, Given who's in power provincially, I cannot imagine Ontario is going to open up their uh, their clinics anytime soon. So,
1: Which, uh, as we both know, will cost lives. Because despite yes, all absolutely. the ballyhoo from the government about mental health being important, um, here's a, an instance where it clearly is not to them. Yep. Um, so maybe that's something that we can all call our conservative MPPs and others and just let them know that this is an important issue going into Pride Month and uh, it's a, an issue of life and death. Emma, it's been an absolute joy, as it always is, to speak to you. Yeah. Uh, take care, be well, be safe, and uh, and we will speak again next month on left, left, or leftist. Take
0: care. Thanks, Sherry. This was a lot of fun. Love to the family. Bye bye.
1: Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. This is she, Sherry DeNovo, and we are, of course, uh, on our Left, Left or Leftist panel. And in the middle of a pandemic still, um, next guest known to all of you is Alex Grant uh, with Fight Back, Marxist. uh, And we're going to be talking about, again, um, the State of the Union, so to speak, in our country and perhaps others uh, under the pandemic. And is it ending or not? So, Alex, uh, let's talk about CERB, first of all, because that's coming to an end. Uh, The government hasn't talked about renewing it yet. Uh, That's going to be a major blow to a whole lot of people who are getting $2,000. And also, uh, maybe you could touch on the reopening of businesses where some of those people might be expected to go back to work to know what's happening there.
2: Well, we shouldn't forget why CERB was uh, put in place in the first place was to stop people going out, getting infected, worsening the pandemic. That uh, that and now there's about seven or eight million people on this. It's going to end end of July, and there's going to be this huge uh, bomb in the employment market of seven or eight million people looking for work, and uh, and that and that will. just just cause a huge crisis there in terms of people being able to survive and also spreading the pandemic. So it's going to create huge problems.
1: Uh, The government had said, we we talked about this before, but they said it, uh, Trudeau said in French and apparently not in English, that he was not going to bail out corporations that didn't pay their taxes, but shifted them offshore to tax havens. And yet it seems like that's what they're doing, um, federally speaking. Now, the justification, of course, is these are large industries that employ a lot of people. And the only way they're going to keep employing a lot of people and not pull up stakes and leave or just shut down or whatever they might do uh, is to give them money. Um, What about that? Like what's happening there?
2: Well, actually, there shouldn't be bailouts. There shouldn't be bailouts. What there should be is nationalizations. They should take it over. That actually, it'd be fairly cheap. I I noticed the other day that uh, Zoom is actually more got higher market capitalization than the top 12 uh, airlines globally. Uh, So, uh, you you could these um, uh, companies that are all in financial crisis, whether they're being the oil sector or the uh, uh, aeroplane sector, uh, then. Yeah, they're very cheap. Um, Don't don't bail them out. Buy them out, or not even buy them out. They've previously received bailouts, so we've already paid for it. Should just take them over. They're important. If they're important things that need to be done, they should be nationalised and uh, run by the workers themselves.
1: I'd love to see that. Um, I think it's highly unlikely <laughs> with the Liberal government, even with the NDP in opposition, minorly speaking. Um, let's let's talk about the federal government for a minute. And we've got a conservative race on on the go here with with uh, Peter and Aaron, um, who seem to be moving dramatically right. Um, they're certainly not red Tories. Um, they're you know so. But yet, uh, I mean, where they're criticizing, i sure criticizing serve just struck me as insane. Um, This is up there with Tim Hudak talking about firing 100,000 provincial civil servants. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I don't get it. Like, is there some kind of logic that everybody seems to be missing? They're they're dropping in the polls. Um, They're playing to their right wing. That seven or eight million people are certainly not going to be happy about that line of attack um so who's the audience there like what, what's going on with the conservative party any ideas because it's just strange
2: yeah well i'm very happy that they're going down in the polls given their sort of right-wing rhetoric demonizing poor people people that have been forced onto serb because they're trying they're trying to keep their neighbors safe and keep their families safe uh so to be demonized by that by andrew sheer also the the crass hypocrisy here is a man who gets $264,000 a year, gets a free house, and that's not enough for him. He embezzles money from his party to send his kids to private school, and he calls people lazy and entitled. Oh, my God. The, 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 actually, the entitlement of the entitled to not see the hypocrisy that these, you know, well, I don't understand why the words didn't just stuck in his mouth when he was saying them. But uh, there is a logic to this if you see the right-wing press press um, toronto sun national post uh, other areas they are trying to turn the conversation they're trying to turn the conversation because they're very worried that uh, the COVID crisis has shown that private ownership doesn't work you you're in a crisis what do you need you need the government, you need society to step in. You know, Margaret Thatcher said, there's no such thing as society. Well, guess what? There really, really is. And COVID has shown that. And uh, actually, I think Stephen Harper even wrote something um, about how, oh, we've got to fight back against the threat of socialism. They're really worried about this. And so this is the mouthpiece of big business, both in media and in parliament trying to turn the conversation back to the right, even if it doesn't aid them personally. You know, they figure that, that, well, there's an election's going to be a ways away, but they've got to get people blaming poor people again uh, and making poor people pay for the crisis rather than say, look, we've got to make sure we support poor people. Otherwise, we're just going to make the COVID crisis way, way worse.
1: Or Chinese people, which seems to be attacked attack that they're uh, taking these days is, uh, uh, which is astounding, because if you look at the, the figures for COVID in Ontario, uh, certainly Americans are a biggest threat by a long shot. Um,
2: yes, and, and the they, the Chinese, I, I, China is a capitalist country. It, uh, it's, uh, it's not a socialist country, but they have dealt with COVID way better than the United States of America. Way, way better. And of course, Trump is just trying to Blame it on the Chinese. Blame it for anybody. Don't blame it on the WHO. Poor old WHO, <laughs> right? I, if you could think of the least political, most you know milk toast organization on the planet, it's the WHO, and and of course now they're the sort of main demon of all of this. Crazy. Well,
1: conservatives here too are attacking you know um, Dr. Tam and things. I mean, yep. it, it was thinly veiled uh, racism there too, but. Um, uh, well, let's let's talk about that a little bit, because it was shocking to some of us to see, and maybe it shouldn't be, but to see demonstrators at Queen's Park saying, we don't want to wear masks, we don't want to social distance, uh, we want everything to open up tomorrow, and this is all a grand conspiracy against us. Now, you know... Not a lot of wealthy people in that lineup, but what was interesting is Ford called them Yahoos. Um, yes. Unlike Trump, who seems to pander to them a little bit, you know, sort of try to play both sides there. Um, what's going on with that? I mean, that is—it seems to be kind of quintessentially unCanadian in the in the sense that we don't see ourselves that way. Though so that's something that crazy Americans do, right?
2: Well. I've met some of these people before. They're the far right. uh, Actually, a bunch of them are wearing Make America Great Again caps, which seems very funny for people who seem to regard themselves as Canadian nationalists. But uh, it's really very marginal that the Globe and Mail did a poll and asked people of their opinions on reopening the economy. And only 5% said everything should be reopened now. It's that rump. It's five percent. What is and more interesting is the media coverage it's got. Again, the right wing media interested in uh, changing the center of gravity of debate, manufacturing consent, to use a sort of a Noam Chomsky statement that so they focus on this uh, small group. Like it's a few hundred people. You know what, uh, Sherry, you've called me a pro- professional protester in the past. I can organise a few hundred people too, if you like. Uh, and th- the thing is, I'm not going to get wall-to-wall media coverage for the demonstration I organise. Uh, and I'm not going to organise a demonstration in the middle of this because it would be unsafe. right? Uh, but uh, th- th- this is a very, very small fringe of society. In fact, what's far more interesting, there are lots of work refusals going on by uh, working class people, uh, there's uh, a huge sympathy for nurses and healthcare professionals, and, uh, and there's a criticism of uh, corporate profiteering or anything like that. That is the overwhelming sentiment in society. Of course, the corporate media is not going to focus on that. They're going to focus on the yahoos to try and change the center of gravity of debate.
1: Um, talking about frontline workers, uh, certainly one of the areas that's really uh, that the pandemic has shone a light on is uh, you know um, personal support workers who many of whom go from long term care place to long term care place terrible wages, um, not a lot of security or benefits and now are, well, some voices are accusing them of carrying the pandemic with them when in fact it's completely structural. But, um, so the NDP has been asking for an inquiry. The government seemed to assent to that, about long-term care. Um, But clearly the problem is privatization and the government, the Ford government's not gonna look at that, Um, that seems, I mean, they've got industry, quotes, unquote, industry experts on this one of the scary details that came out to me though in the long term care scandal where um as you've discussed before some 80% of the deaths are coming from that quarter in Canada was that the Canada pension plan is invested in private long term care in Ravenna this company which is, i mean this is our tax dollars we are in a sense part owners now um
2: of of long term private care what do you do with that i mean We have to end private care. Yeah, absolutely. It is a death trap. It was a death trap before COVID, and COVID has made everything worse. The death rates currently are like two or three times the uh, public care. Uh, There's no reason for this. This needs to be ended overnight, and 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 that needs to be done with massive political pressure. Uh, The the NDP have put forward a public inquiry, and. I I understand why they're doing it, and this is the game of politics. If you can have an inquiry, this takes several years, and you get to throw stones at the government for all this time and keep it in the news cycle. But the reality is there was a public inquiry. There was the for inquiry that said all of these things. It needs to happen now. There needs to be real protest. There needs to be real movement to make this change now, not just an inquiry and experts and judges and lawyers forever and ever and nothing ever changes and then there's a report. Uh, it, it's really just a way for the NDP to scratch away at the pol- popularity of the government to maybe be bet- in better position for the next election. We can't wait for the next election. We need this to change now. There needs to be a mass movement to make them uh, renationalise uh, long-term care.
1: And I I think you're right. And and certainly strategically, um, you know, I I don't think the public really has an appetite for an inquiry. I think they have an appetite for action right now. We're still in the middle of the pandemic and uh, it just sounds kind of bureaucratic. I mean, I've sat in on many committees that have looked at just about every section of the government bureaucracy and great decisions came out of them and they cost a lot of money and they're sitting on shelves, yeah. uh, getting dust, like, as you mentioned, um, nobody's acting on them. So, so, I mean, it's just a way of deflecting, um, which brings me to the NDP and the NDP's role right now, provincially poll wise, they're not you know the Liberals, the joke was that Liberals didn't have a leader, and that's why they were polling better than the NDP. Now they've got a leader. They're still polling better than the NDP. What is happening there? I mean uh, first of all, I, I get that it's hard to break through in the media cycle because every day for it is on television as is Trudeau, as is Tory. So you're getting this incredible blast of media from um, the status quo. But um, like, what's what's happening with that party? What should they be doing?
2: The NDP needs to get out of the parliamentary bubble. They need to abandon the parliamentary bubble because, of course, within that bubble, then Trudeau and Ford and the other provincial premiers they hold all the cards, and there needs to be extra parliamentary action. They they need to be getting out and saying, look, if these uh, uh, workplaces are unsafe if the workers don't think they are safe then people should walk out and if trade union leaders and political leaders got up and said that and the media would go crazy oh my god this is communism you know well maybe it is but that's not a bad thing uh but if it saves people's lives do it and you know if you had andrew hovath or jagmeet singh or uh, any Any uh, other leader getting up and saying that the media goes crazy? Well, you got the media, you've got the media, and you're actually making a a, 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 you're saying something real as opposed to just being you know, in terms of the federal NDP, well, they're like two weeks in advance of Justin Trudeau. The NDP proposes something, and a couple of weeks later, Trudeau adopts it, right? And and people and then the NDP doesn't get any credit because but you should be proposing stuff that the liberals aren't going to take on board and does mobilize people and does mobilize opinion. The right wing understand this. That's why the right wing, they, they're proposing uh, you know, reopening everything. They're trying to set, cha- turn, you know, move the center of gravity of political discussion. And to a certain extent, they succeed. They don't get everything they want, but they move things to the right. Uh, and the left has got to Make strong stances and move things to the left.
1: Um, one of the realities of the end of CERB and the reopening of the economy, and I want to talk about the reopening of the economy because, as you said, um, nobody seems to be in favor of it. Um, workers are feeling tied because they have to make an income. And even if they're deemed essential and they're working at crappy jobs um, for a slightly over minimum wage. Uh, you know, they they can't they can't even get sick days in many industries mm-hmm. that are paid, um, which is people are horrified when you say that in a pandemic. But it's the reality. They don't even have sick coverage for a lot of these jobs. Um, but uh, but I mean, you know, this is who's driving this. I mean, I I, I guess I'll jump in and just say, you know, it it, it for you know, a precursory look at what was reopening you know, that that butlers and uh, maids could go back to work and golf courses could open up. You kind of get the feeling, oh, and nurseries, you know, for those who have lovely gardens. I mean, you kind of get the feeling the reopening is geared at a certain subset of society and not at everybody. Um, uh, small business, mm, you know, they're, they're, 50% of them are saying they're going to go under. Um, they hire a lot of people, but just doesn't seem to be a lot of salvation for them. Um, you know, what, what's happening with this reopening, Alex? And speaking by the way to Alex Grant, um uh editor at Fight Back and also um Marxist on Left Left or Leftist here on the Radical Reverend Show. Thanks for staying tuned, Alex.
2: Well, they've reopened too soon. They've re- reopened way too soon, and you're seeing the results now that testing is actually down but the cases are trending back up again. That there's a very clear trend, and that's even before uh, many other things have reopened. So they're gambling with the lives of working class people in order to restore profits. I saw one thing actually suggesting, why don't they restart the TV show Undercover Boss, where the boss is an anonymous worker on the shop floor? Don't think so. Don't think so. I don't think the bosses are going anywhere near the shop floor because they are afraid, but they're collecting all their profits. It's great. You have all of these minimum wage people making you massive profits. You sit home in your mansion, right? It's disgusting. And actually, even from the perspective of capitalism, I think it's counterproductive. They're going to create a massive second wave and and a new lockdown and they're going to lose even more profits. They would have been better if they'd taken a a bit more time which is why you know we've been calling for no workplace should reopen until the workers say so and the workers have got all the necessary ppe and health and safety precautions to make it safe uh, but people are being forced back and and that's why there's this mantra to re, uh, remove serb or talk about serb cheats because what they what they're afraid of they want people so afraid of hunger and homelessness that they're forced to work and risk their lives. Because Serb, you know, people say, "Well, I don't want to die, so I will collect two thousand dollars and not die." It's not really a selfish position, or, or not, or not put my friends at risk and not put my family at risk. Uh, so uh, they're trying to knock away at that, so they can continue paying people poverty wages. Whereas, okay, the economy, you know, of course, will open eventually, but it should be opening with all the PPE, all the health and safety. And if there's a danger there, people need to be paid. There should be double danger pay for essential workers. So.
1: Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned something about, you know, homelessness and losing your housing or what little you have if you are a serb collector at a potential minimum wage or slightly above worker. um, One of the interesting things that that strikes me is that all of a sudden, um, homeless folk uh, are getting housed in the city. um, And not all of them, and not nearly enough of them. And there's draconian methods to clear areas of tents and things. But um, something that housing activists have been screaming for for decades, um, now that their health might affect your health or our health or politicians' health by being on the streets um, or even in shelters, um, housing is be- is beginning to be found, which actually just says it was always there and it could have been found before, um, but there was no political will to take over hotel rooms or you know empty apartments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the rents are kind of somewhat creeping down a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, what's going to happen as we hope the pandemic eases? I mean, it will be very interesting to see if all of those people that are now housed get booted out, you know, as soon as, you know, it's deemed safe or something. I mean, talk about the backlash of the CERB recipients. This is going to be a huge backlash, too.
2: Well, there's a huge class cr- struggle in preparation that there's a class struggle yes so again they showed when there's a political will they can find houses for homeless people whereas normally there's no political will they don't care let those people uh, survive out in the streets uh, same thing with serb you know that that was shown that it could be done uh, there was political will it needed to be done for health and safety but then what's going to happen when that gets removed The other thing that shows there's political will that actually five or 10 times the dollar value of supports for working class people has been bailouts to corporations. There's the political will. Yeah. They they can write that check. You know, when when, uh, they're they're focusing on CERB for uh, the deficit, CERB is not, it's like 10% of all of the money going out the door, but that's the one that they focus on because that goes primarily to working class people that i so that there is going to be a huge class struggle as we come out of this and the economy is going to be a total disaster that the capitalist economy it was already in crisis we were already heading into a slump even before covid hit and covid is just going to make everything worse the uh Air Canada is in crisis, the restaurant sector, you know, when's that going to come back, entertainment, all of that, uh, that's going to have, takes years and years to recover. But even, you know, and oil, you know, that's, that's not going to recover anytime soon. So Alberta is going to be in various degrees of crisis for a long time. And it's really going to be who pays, who pays. Is it working class people or is it the rich? Uh, is it the bosses and the bankers that we're heading into some massive struggles?
1: We've uh, spoken about this before, Alex, but um, and I, again, polling um, Emma mentioned this at the beginning of the show um, is not necessarily to be uh, you know counted on, but um, it is some kind of indication, and so Ford, whose polling was awful before this happened, is now doing pretty well. Um, NDP is not running third still, um, and federally as well. Um, And uh, south of the border, we're seeing, despite his insanity and despite killing tens of thousands now, uh, you've got a president who, um, you know, bizarrely enough, still has a bit of an edge in the polls. And you've got a Democratic candidate who's not an avowed socialist, Joe Biden, um, who got the majority of the black vote. Um, Which is why in part he's there. Um, So it it, like I, you know, I like many would love to see, you know, uh, you know, something kind of socialist like gaining momentum, but it doesn't seem to be happening. uh, and and yet all all the aspects, as you say, are there. Like people have suffer, are suffering, like they never suffer, especially south of the border. They're not getting served. Bernie is actually his he's calling for two thousand a month for for American workers. You know something. So I mean, it, it's terrible south of the border. It's terrible in a lot of countries, and it's not great here at all either. And yet, where is that um, where is that mobilization?
2: Um, there's lots of sporadic mobilizations there's lots of uh, workplace uh, refusals and walkouts and rent strikes and stuff like that but no there isn't a mass expression that people Bernie Sanders the minute he endorsed Biden people just abandoned him Like nobody cares about Bernie Sanders uh, in the United States from being a huge focal point of uh, left wing struggle, of, of of working class struggle. Now people are like, oh, you're just part of the ba- Biden bang- bandwagon and don't care. And, and the only thing to say about Biden is that he's not Trump. So people are voting for Trump. You either vote for Trump or against Trump. Nobody's voting for Biden. Nobody is voting for Biden. And there's absolutely zero enthusiasm there. And, and that is actually the recipe for another trump victory i uh, so sad to say but the sentiments of the people need an organized expression they need an organized expression uh it could have been bernie if he'd uh ditched the democrats actually i i think if, if someone there's even talk about uh what the rock running um no was it hey, one, one ex-wrestler i forget his name um uh, running for president, and he actually might even be quite popular because it's like a plague on both your houses. Um, but people hate the status quo, uh, but there is no the, the non-status quo is not on the ballot anywhere, and but eventually it will be, uh, either either politically in terms of elections, or uh, in terms of a social movement. It the, all of the social conditions demand it but you can't just artificially generate that focal point, but the focal point sooner or later will appear.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, at least you had in Bernie something that I, you know, never thought I would see, which is a presidential candidate that was actually had a shot at it, calling himself a socialist in the United States. So even if the word meant left liberal <laughs> coming out of his mouth has still said it, um, which, uh, which was a game changer in that regard. But now, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I mean, what do you do with their their so-called democratic system? I mean, you voted, you have to vote against the psychopath kind of thing just to keep alive at this point. Um, up here a little bit more nuanced. Um, but I mean, it is disconcerting to see Ford, uh, doing well. Um, and, uh, uh, and not a lot of opposition kind of coalescing. I mean, uh, if it is, it's around the Liberal Party, <laughs> it's sort of just as a brand, you know. Uh, so I, again, and the movement within the, the NDP to push the party to the left seems to be taken over by, quotes, unquote,
2: strategists. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't think, it, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, um, sadly, there isn't much of an organized left in the NDP. And, uh, and the reality is that the NDP has been working entirely within the establishment parliamentary uh, mindset. And so we'll see what happens to the NDP. Now, in terms of the popularity of Trudeau and Ford, etc. well, there's, there's a ratty around the leader in times of crisis, Sinjom. Um But uh, that also has limits that you saw the, the most popular provincial premier was Legault in Quebec. And then he reopened far more rapidly than uh, all of the other provinces. And now his popularity has gone down by 20% mm. uh, on, on the basis. So, so, pop, so that can move quite quickly. That can move quite quickly. Same in Britain as well, that the, the conservatives, uh, the Boris Johnson conservatives who, who got a bump in popularity, they've gone down with reopening too quickly. And and in the states, yes, things are neck and neck between Trump and Biden. So yes, there is a bump in popularity. But when things, uh, when the the crisis, the immediate crisis, ends, and all this austerity starts being implemented, that's when the the mind will get concentrated everywhere.
1: Let's hope. Let's hope that's the case. Um, so just uh, Alex, we just have a minute or two left, uh, if that. Um, looking ahead, uh, what should those who want to see progressive change uh, from the left do? Uh, where we are, where we're at in Toronto and Ontario, like what? Where should we focus our energies to to try to shift the shift the narrative here?
2: Well, you need to fight for PPE, for and proper health and safety for those being forced out to work. We have to demand that nobody is forced back to work and endangering themselves on public transit or anywhere else uh, without their consent, that uh, you need to educate yourself, that this is a great time to educate yourself about politics. Fight back, marxist.ca, we're organising a lot of educationals, and, uh, and we need to build the movement against the coming austerity, because they're going to try to figure out who's paying, the rich or the poor. There's going to be big fights, so join uh, join the groups fighting for uh, a socialist future.
1: Thank you. I've been speaking to Alex Grant um, from Fight Back, um, a Marxist on the left, left or leftist panel. Just a note out there in Radio Land. Um, CIUT, of course, is, is also uh, listener supported. So even though the drive to donate um, is uh, not on air from the station. It's still on. So please do consider donating. Until next time on the Radical Reverend Show. Bye all.